only the best run here at the Indianapolis 500. Mario, who do you feel you'll have to beat in this year's race? People like uh, A.J. Foyt and uh, Bobby Unser, for instance. Stand by for the checkered flag. Absolutely incredible. Danny Sullivan spun in front of Mario Andretti. A.J. has done it. He has won his fourth Indianapolis 500. Beyond the Bricks with Jay Query and Mike Thompson on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Snaking their way down the straightaway. Elliot on the high side and turn him around. Boyt, Unser, Mears, and maybe Castroneves. Elio takes the lead on a turn one. A two-car length advantage. Elio Castroneves trying to become a four-time winner out of turn four. Off turn four for the final time. Elio Castroneves comes to the start-finish line. Twin checkers out and then there were four. Elio Castroneves joins the four. The weekend is upon us, a weekend of racing at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. You could call it a doubleheader, but I guess technically speaking, it is a triple header. You have the Xfinity Series, you have, of course, the NASCAR Cup Series, you have the IndyCar Series all taken to the road course at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. But here on Beyond the Bricks tonight, we are going to talk not necessarily about what's going to happen this weekend, but of course, take a look back at history at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway that was made in May. Good evening to you. My name is Jake Query. Mike Thompson is here as well. And Mike, we haven't gotten into it. It's interesting because here we are putting a bow tie on the week of Beyond the Bricks. We spent the entire month of May talking about the legendary names and historical accomplishments out at IMS. And lo and behold, what happened? But Elio Castroneves becomes a four-time winner and... It's interesting to me because maybe it's simply because we haven't, you know, we only did this show this week and we talked obviously a lot about Cup over the course of this week. But there was so much celebration of Elio Castroneves, but it feels like we haven't necessarily even celebrated it enough, as crazy as that might sound. Yeah, you know what's interesting to me is that the way this show and, and our predecessor show, Talking Gasoline Alley, the way it always falls, it always felt like. There should be one show maybe on Memorial Day or the day after Memorial Day, right, to, to talk about what happened in the race. I, I always kind of felt that way. And and then I thought about, you know, you and I talked uh, a couple of days ago. We were, you know, we never really talked about Elio. And, and that was such a gigantic story. And, you know, Michael Shank and everything that, that Michael Shank and, you know, his team have, have done and, it's just such a gigantic story, and I, I, I'm glad we're doing it tonight because, you know, I, I agree with you. I don't think you could talk enough about Elio and what an interesting journey he's had. And, and this summer has been so interesting for Elio. I mean, doing the SRX thing he's done and, and now back, and now he's got a full-time IndyCar ride again. And so, I mean, what an amazing journey Elio has been on in the last, uh, you know, six months or so. And fascinating when you think about the fact, Mike, that, look, it's only two races, and I know he's in a Honda, which is probably at least least for this year from a horsepower standpoint, the preferred engine in the NTT IndyCar series. But interesting to me that Elio Castroneves has run two races so far this season, and yet in both of those, he finished above every entry for Roger Penske, which you know deep down 
he's got to smile about, right? That's got to feel good. It's got to <laughs> feel good. I mean, when you think about the fact that, you know, Elio made no bones about the fact that he didn't really want to stop running IndyCar full time. And, you know, while he, you know, he put on a good face for, for the sports car program and, you know, and he, he became a champion in sports cars and, it, you know, it meant something to him. You know, deep down in his heart, he wanted to be an IndyCar this whole time, and he wasn't done as an IndyCar driver, and he he wanted to prove that he wasn't done as an IndyCar driver. And what better way to prove you're not done as an, an IndyCar driver than to to move on to another team, come on in a one-off, and win the biggest race in the world? I mean, that has to feel just incredible to Elio to do that. And then, like you said, come back in a second of, event with the team after having secured a full-time gig, and he finishes above all of his former teammates again. I mean, that's, I mean, yeah. I, I mean, if I'm Elio, I'm on top of the world right now. I, I thought when we look back at the race, and, and I know for some people may be saying, wait, why are we talking about the Indianapolis 500, you know, three months after the fact? But it was a historic win, and this show, taking a look at the history of the Speedway, and it's always fun to think, hey, we were witness to something that people will be talking about for decades to come in the case of Castro Nevis's accomplishment, and I think that we can talk about this with Donald Davidson, the historian emeritus of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, that will join us on this program tonight, uh, as he did last night when we talked about Parnelli Jones. But one of the things that I think is is interesting about it, we can compare Elio Castro Nevis's fourth win to the three before him, and how much that particular race in which he won his fourth for the particular driver rick mears of course in 1991 alan sir senior in 1987 aj Ford in 1977 how those races unfolded for those three gentlemen in those three previous years in the case of castro nevis mike the thing that i think where elio castro nevis and meyer shank racing deserve a lot of credit if you look at the race this year in the 500 it kind of, to me, broke down into stages, and initially it was the young gun platform. You had Renus VK and Colton Herta running up front, and Scott Dixon, the the you know the KG veteran, kind of waiting to see what they would do and let them burn their fuel off. And then Dixon and Rossi get caught up in an untimely pit stop and caution flag situation that that kind of really shuffled them out of the mix. That was kind of phase one. And then phase two of the race was a couple of chargers up to the front who used strategy to get there and took advantage of it. You know, Connor Daly comes to mind. It was running up towards the front. And you had others that all of a sudden were players. Alex Pelot, who had started up front and, and run there. And then phase three of the race, which was obviously Pato Award got up towards the front. Pelot was still there. Castro Nevis ends up winning the race. Long-winded, what I'm trying to say here, Mike, is the one car in all of those phases that was consistently running four, five, six, right there towards the front and in the lead pack. The other cars changed, but Castro Nevis was the one consistent car to run up front the entire day. And I think for a guy who was in essentially a one-off with a new team, that was really impressive. Yeah, and, and what it reminded me of was a, was not a four-time winner's 
victory, but a two-time winner's victory. But the last one-off really before that was the late Dan Weldon's victory. Because if you recall Dan's win in 2011, Dan was the guy who was in the lead pack all day. And maybe he was fifth or sixth or fourth, or but he was always right there all day. And then when the opportunity came at the end, it was Dan's time. And, you know, and Dan maybe only led a few hundred yards, but then that was Dan's time to shine. And, and Elio, I mean, Elio only led 20 laps, let's recall this year, you know, I mean, it wasn't that, uh, you know, Elio led 110 laps or, you know, like Simon Pagino did a couple of years ago, where Simon led 120, 130 laps. Elio only led 20 laps. Well, like you said, Elio was a consistently top two, top three, top five car all day. And so when it came down to the shootout with Alex below, you know, those, those are the two best cars of the day. But I think your point's really well taken about how Elio's fourth win, you know, coincides with some of the other fourth wins, because, you know, thinking about like big Al's fourth win, big Al didn't have a ride at the beginning of the month. He had been sort of, you know, let go by Penske, you know, they had decided to go in a different direction with, uh, you know, taking Danny on Gaius instead. And and they decided we're not going to bring back Al Unser, who had just won the championship two years before that. And, and Big Al says, you know, I'm only going to go for a good ride. And he gets a good ride when that opportunity came back with Penske. But, you know, the, the fact that, you know, Big Al, here's Big Al sitting at the beginning of the month of May, a guy that's talented as Al Unser, he's sitting without a ride. And, and Elio Castroneves, at the beginning of the month, this was his one shot and he delivers on that one shot. So there are a little bit of parallels, I think, between, you know, some of these victories. Mike, did you feel like, I'm curious your answer on this. For so long, we anticipated, you know, it'd been 30 years since we had a four-time winner and there was always that expectation and anticipation of how it would be received if we were to get another four-time winner. And I think a lot of people, that question had kind of started to go away because there were some that just assumed that it was not going to happen with Elio. And, of course, we don't have any, you know, sitting any other sitting three-time winners. But did you think that it was received or celebrated as much as about where you anticipated or less than what you expected it would be? I honestly thought it was was more than it would what I expected. Honestly, um, I I was with you. I thought, you know, I was like, you know what? It's just never going to happen for Elio. He, you know, he was so close so many different times. He had the 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 chance against Ryan Hunter Ray. He had the chance against Sato, and it's just not going to work out for Elio to get that fourth one. And then when he got the fourth one, you know what was gratifying to me is to see the fans go crazy for Elio. And, and what I love about that is it's, it, it just, to me, it just destroys that, that argument that, that fans can't relate to the drivers who aren't born in the United States. It, it, I, that's, that argument has always bothered me that, that if that fans can only relate to the quote unquote, they can only relate to the, the American drivers and to see the fans tear down the place for Tony Kanaan when he won and, and to go crazy for Elio, they, they'll respond to you. They'll respond to, to, to the drivers with talent. They'll respond to drivers with personality. They'll, they'll respond to people. And it doesn't matter where you're from. And the two most popular guys in driver's introductions are both from Brazil. You know, and, and I just love the fact that the place went crazy for these guys. And I love the reaction Elio got. I loved his enthusiasm. I loved his 
reaction and how how excited he was to share that with the fans i loved how excited the fans were to share with him so i'll be honest with you i was really gratified to see uh how that was received and how excited everybody was for elio and how excited he was to share it with them i kind of felt like with elio and and we saw this later in the stages of the career of tony Kanan, which is of course still going i realize it isn't so much about where a driver's born and raised, but rather where a driver cuts his teeth as a racer. You know what I mean? Like, people were able to see Castro Nevis, Kanan, Dario for that matter. They were able to see them chase and grow as a driver at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway by coming back each and every year and growing an increased respect and appreciation for the venue. And I think that's what people relate to as opposed to, sure, it helps if it's a guy that you watched run on dirt tracks when he was 21 years old from Bakersfield, California, or Wichita, Kansas, or whatever it may be. But if he arrives from Sao Paulo, Brazil, or from somewhere else, but he shows a reverence for the Speedway that brings him back every year, or her, back every year with an increased desire to win it and appreciation and understanding. That's all anybody wants, right, Mike, is the respect level. Absolutely. Like I say, who loved the Indianapolis Motor Speedway more than Dan Weldon? Who loves it more than Tony Kanaan? Who loves it more than Dario Franchitti? I mean, these guys these guys weren't born in the United States. They, they were born somewhere else. But they, they have grown to love the Indianapolis Motor Speedway as much as those of us who, you know, you're Jake, you're from Indian, you know, Indianapolis. I'm from Ohio. I mean, we, we treasure the Speedway as it's like we basically put a blanket around it. It's ours, right? And we protect it. And, and nobody better say anything bad about the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. I know that you better not say anything bad about the Speedway to me because, I, you know, I'll, I'll be upset about that. You know, so, you know, we're very protective of our beloved Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And so I think that, you know, to see these guys embrace it so much and, and see how much Tony Kanan loves it and see how much Elio loves it and, and see – you know, see how much they want to share it with the fans and, and share their victory. They don't, you know, Elio wasn't going to pull into just pull down pit lane and, and not run up to the, to the fence the way he always has done. I mean, he wants to share this monumental victory, but it, it was going to be an over the top celebration if he ever got his fourth. And I can't wait to see what'll happen if he ever gets his fifth. Can I mean, you imagine? He, I wondered yeah, about that. I mean, I mean and, and you know what, Mike, let's be real. That is a possibility next year that he gets his fifth, right? Oh, absolutely. But, but the other thing I love is I, that moment with Mario, you know, Mario kissing Elio's head. I mean, and the respect of a guy of Mario's stature, you know, basically it's almost, you know, I mean that, you know, a guy, when you get that, a guy of that stature, you know, giving you the, the rub, as they say in wrestling, you know, that, you know, that that's the guy giving you Mario's putting you over there, you know, and, and, that kind of those moments, they they honestly send chills. I'm getting chills just thinking about how how much of a celebration that was, uh, and just how special that was to me. And so, I love that kind of stuff. I love when people have as much reverence for the speedway as we all do. And Elio certainly in that list. Dario, Dan Weldon, Tony Kenna. It doesn't matter where they were born. It's it's how much they love the place. I remember saying and thinking to myself, Mike, that. In a year that we are trying so hard to return to normalcy, 
seeing Elio Castroneves celebrate winning the Indy 500 is about as normal as it can get. You know what I mean? Yeah, so, right. And exactly. And that's and then that's the that's the thing. I mean, you you go back to you know what are those what are those moments that you remember? I mean, the first time Elio climbed the fence, and you know, and I I brought this up the other night when we were talking about Tony Stewart. I mean. The, the ovation Tony Stewart got when he climbed the fence, you know, mimicking Elio. And, and the, you know, that was the loudest I had heard. This year was the loudest I had heard, I think, since since the Tony doing it. I mean, it's just it's those those moments, those iconic moments. And you're right. I mean, what's more normal than than Elio on the fence celebrating with the fans, enjoying his time, uh, you know, sharing those moments, you know, because Elio – I, you know, I, that's one of the things I love about Elio. Elio loves to share things with the fans like Tony, Tony Kanan does, like Dan did. You know, all these guys, you know, really, really, truly enjoy sharing moments with the fans. And I love that about these guys. When we come back, we'll continue talking about the four-time winners club. We'll expand upon it beyond Elio Castroneves because the reality is there were three others that laid the groundwork for the Brazilian to have the club to join. And so the historian emeritus of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, Donald David, will join us to expand upon what it was like for Al Unser, A.J. Foyt, and Rick Mears. I said that out of order, but obviously for those three, what their fourth looked like. That's the discussion when we come back to Beyond the Bricks. A.J. Foyt down the main straightaway. The checkered flag is out. A.J.'s hand in the air. He is the winner. A.J. Foyt at Indianapolis has won his fourth 500-mile race. Welcome back to the Beyond the Bricks. Jake Query here along with Mike Thompson. Race weekend is upon us at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. We certainly hope that you are set for an exciting race of plenty of action out at IMS. But we've been talking about the four-time winners of the Indianapolis 500. Of course, Elio Castroneves joining his name or adding his name to that list and joining the most elite fraternity in open-wheel racing in North America. Joining us now to talk about exactly that, Donald Davidson, I've been saying the whole time that you are the historian emeritus of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And while that's technically semantically correct, I'm just going to keep saying you're the historian of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway because you're irreplaceable and and there is nobody else. So you're just you're the historian, right? You're the guy. You're still the guy, right? Well, that's very kind of you. (laughs) Okay. well, but but I'm officially retired. No, I I understand. Um, But you are always willing to talk and excited to talk. I know about the history of the Speedway. So let's talk about what Mike and I were talking about there. And that is Elio joining the four time winners club. Um, first off, Donald, just simply as somebody who I know has such a passion clearly about the history of the Speedway, what did it mean for you to be able to witness for the fourth time in your career a four-time winner? Oh, well, I saw all of the four-time winners. In fact, I'm dating myself here. The only the only victory of the 16 that I didn't see was Foyt's fourth. But um, I was... Um, I was thrilled for for Elio, but I had begun to wonder whether that was going to happen. And um, I guess when when he won in 2009, I mean, I was convinced that he would probably be a five-time winner. And uh, when I stated that a few times, I got a 
a little bit of grief from a, a couple of uh, participants who'd won the race, and I'll leave it at that. But uh, they, they, when I said he stood to become a five-time winner, they said, well, he hasn't won four yet. But at that time, when you're talking 2010, 2011, I thought in the next, you know, four, five, six years at that time, I thought it's very possible that Elliot could have won two more. And then when it didn't happen, and it didn't happen, and he came so close several times, and you just thought, well, I'd begun to think a couple of years ago, I don't know that it can happen. I think he'd probably have good finishes, but but not the win. And so I think this was a total surprise to me, and I was overjoyed with the, you know, the fact that he was with a different team. And... It wasn't as if things happened and, and uh, you know, he ended up in the position to be able to win. I mean, he was fighting and dicing back and forth with these, you know, these, these 21 and 22-year-old kids. And I just thought it was just one of the great moments in the history of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. So I was very happy that I witnessed it, and, and uh, it, it was a... a really good crowd and golly nobody went home and 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 fortunately and i'm probably going on a little bit long here but um instead of uh trying to regiment uh the victory celebration he was allowed to just go and uh i thought how wonderful it was so spontaneous and um then finally, when, you know, after he'd done the running up and down the straightaway, when he went out onto the uh, uh, on the back of the pace car, I mean that had to be something like, you know, 45 minutes or an hour after the after the race was over, and there was still a ton of people there. It's like nobody wanted to go home. It was great moments. I think there was um, a brief moment where everybody is so caught up in this moment, Donald, and then all of a sudden somebody realized, wait a minute, we still have a TV window to get to here. Like, we got to get on with the ceremony. You know, we got a wreath and we got milk to get to. And um, but, but everybody was so caught up on it, which was what made it so great. I yes, wanted to I, ask you. I agree. You, and instead of sort of, you know, just being regimented and, and having to run, you know, by the, uh, by the minute, I realize that's very important at times. But thank goodness uh, he was allowed to just run up to and let down it breathe, and, right? And, yeah. Uh, just um, you know, I just thought that was just fantastic. Moment. Well, I wanted to ask you of the previous three, four-time winners. Donald Davidson is our guest here on Beyond the Bricks, as you had mentioned with Elio and Mike, and I just talked about it. You know, it, it was interesting to me because for so long we talked about once Elio, because he got the, the, the three, you know, he got to number three so quickly, right? I mean, all within yes. a decade, and so it did seem to be almost an automatic that he would eventually become a four-time winner. It was almost like people started to finally put that on the back burner of not focusing on it anymore when, boom, it happened. With the other three, was there any of those three that that was also the same case where there wasn't necessarily the focus on the possibility, even though there was a three-time winner entering the race, and obviously, in some cases, they weren't the only three-time winner on the track at that time. Yes. But was there anybody else that also well, it came um, as a surprise? Each of the cases was a little bit different. I, you know, Foyt had that interesting, um, uh, you know, he was winning every third year. And then um, I remember, golly, the question that I was asked the most after he'd won in 67, for the next several years, 
uh, and I don't I don't mean just radio programs or, or, or interviews, but I, you know at the grocery store or getting my hair cut or what you know when I'd run into people and the the, the, the number one question for years was, do you think Foyt will win his fourth and then hang it up? And uh, it it you know he came close a couple of times. Uh, you know sixty nine he was strong and and uh, it seemed like Foyt always. Um, in at least three of the four, um, other people's misfortune, and I'm not saying that it was handed to him on a platter at all, but it seemed that that, uh, the race came to him on at least three of the four, but then there were other years when when uh, you know when he was dominant and then and didn't win. But anyway, so the question was, will he win his fourth and then hang it up? Well, it took ten years to win the fourth, and he didn't hang it up. He went for another sixteen. Um, I think Al Al Unser um, would you know would just jump to the uh, to his fourth win. I think that that was. Unexpected in a lot of um, in a lot of areas because of the fact that the ride came together actually after the first qualifying weekend was over. It was uh, the drivers had gone down to Cummins and uh, Roger Penske sitting with Jim Henderson, who was the head of Cummins at that time, and the two of them had gone to military academy together. And you know they said, you know, what's going on and. Uh, the uh, one thing led to another, and uh, the sponsorship was made over dinner <laughs> uh, to run Al. And then it, uh, a lot of people thought, well, you know, they didn't have the Chevy Indy V8, and um, they uh, it, it, it was an older car. And then uh, I think that. Uh, in my mind, I, I thought Al would have a good finish. I remember being at a at a, a dinner where they were doing, you know, they were doing the, um, they were betting on the winner, and I said that I thought that Al had an excellent chance to finish well, and I thought maybe third or fourth. So, but the the win was kind of a surprise. But then, you know, Al also gave him up. 1979. He was in the Pennzoil Chaparral before Johnny Rutherford, and he dominated the first half. But, so I think that um, the the likelihood of Al becoming a four-time winner, I don't think people figured on in uh, in uh, in '87 that that was going to be the case. But uh, by golly, what a great victory that was! And then uh, finally, to, to get to Rick Mears, uh, he wins in his second start in '79, then he wins in '84, which is a five years. I mean, he almost, it looked like he was going to win in 82, but anyway, so the second win is five years. Then he wins in 88, and that's four years, and then he wins in 91, and that was incredible. That's three years. So the the joke at the time was, well, you know, he's not going to win in 92. He'll win in 93, and then, uh, you know, every year thereafter until he quits. And then, of course, the thing is that, no, he didn't win in 92, and then he retired at the end of that year. But, um, uh, you know, the the, um, uh, the the Rick's fourth win in 91 was just, just phenomenal. And so all of those four are memorable, not only because of, the, the, of them being uh, the, the fourth victory for, for all four of them, but each one of them was a dramatic finish and a, and a, a sort of a surprise, maybe, in some cases, and 
an, an iconic moment. And uh, so my, my, I think my final comment for now, and I probably ran you over a little bit, is the fact that isn't it great that instead of them being from, you know, decades apart or different eras, these guys all know each other. And um, uh, th- there's no case where all four drove against each other. But, you know, Foyt and, and, uh, and Al and, and uh, uh, Rick Mears, uh, they all ran together. And then Ali, of course, came along a little bit later. But the fact that they all know each other and they're around and, and we can celebrate them all and they can all stand together on the bricks, I think that's truly amazing, you know, that there isn't one that had, had you know, was decades earlier and, and uh, you know, wasn't around anymore. I just think that, by golly, cherish these moments because the four guys are all there. <laughs> yeah, Donald, that's that's actually was going to be my question to you is how, how much, you know, how blessed are we the fact that, you know, we've got these four guys that are able to take a, a picture like we saw a few weeks yeah. ago on the Yard of Bricks together. Yeah. And, and and we get to see that photograph of the four of them together because, I mean, we're, you know, we're in a lucky period of time. I, I you know, you and I have had this conversation privately on a number of occasions. And, and sadly, we lost, you know, earlier this year, we lost Bobby. Yeah. But but we, you know, we're in a situation where we, we still have Mario and we still have Big Al and we have we have AJ and Parnelli and all these guys. Rutherford. And, and, yeah. and mm-hmm. Rutherford and all, all these great legends. And, and and not as many sports have as, you know, are lucky to have the legends that, that we have currently. But, but uh, you know, how absolutely. blessed are we that we can have these guys together on the Art of Bricks for a photograph? Yes, absolutely. And I, I remember in 1992 where I had a chance to draw attention at the driver's meeting. So I, I said, look, you know, we've got 10 winners in this race and we've got three, four time winners are all here. Cherish the moment because, you know, a lot of the fellows in this year's race, 92, um, you know, are going to be b- retired in, in a couple of years. And uh, so when you look at all of the halls of fame and, and in, with other sports, the fact that you know some of the greats were all in just completely different eras, and uh, these guys can stand shoulder to shoulder and talk to each other and share their experiences. You know, I'm thinking aloud here, Donald. But in Castro Nevis's fourth win, yes, there were obviously at least a pair of, you know, there were other multiple winners in the field. Yeah. But he was the only going for number four. In Mears's third or fourth win in 91, Johnny Rutherford would not have been in that race, correct? That is correct. So Mears would have been probably the only three-time winner in the 91 field, despite there being multiple, obviously, winners, correct? I'm not sure that I understood your question. I was, just, and I'm now you've got my. I'm having to work my brain here. Well, in other words, uh, you, you had. Um, let's see. We the and uh, the, there was Foyt, but he was out early. Well, he was already a four-time winner. What I mean is, yeah, oh yes, correct. So when Mears took to the green flag in '91, he was yes. the only man of the 33 attempting to win his fourth. Okay, and that was the case with with Castro Nevis. Now, Big Al to me is is the most intriguing of the four. 
simply because the race in 87 went somewhat like his month in the fact that it wasn't really until the end when you realized, in other words, at the beginning of the race, Al Unser was not seen as a contender and things had to fall his way. And as the race went on, it really wasn't until the last 10 laps of the race when you thought, holy cow. That's that's right. We're going to have a four-time winner. Because Mario, golly, Mario led 170 of the first 177 and looked like he was going to finally win a second. And then when he dropped out, then Roberto Guerrero, and uh, then he had to, he had to stall on on, uh, on the pit stop. And, and I think Al was sort of like, you know, oh, sixth earlier in the race. I think he got up to third. But even then, I don't think that people realized that he was there. Typical Al Unser, I mean, he just places himself or placed himself where he needed to be. And I, I, I don't know that anybody was really thinking Alonso could be a four-time winner until just the closing minutes. Yeah, you're absolutely right on that one. Donald Davidson Donald joins Davidson. us. We're talking about the four-time winners. Donald, you got time to stick around here for one final segment? Uh, that's fine. And uh, Mike Thompson's on the show, too, and I know he wants to talk. <laughs> that's right. Uh, we'll, let, we'll let Mike chime in and seamlessly transition to the man who is, of course, as I said, Donald, the historian, right? We'll do it all when we come back. You're listening to Beyond the Bricks. Just on one more turn to go. The crowd roaring. Rick Mears head for number four. He's down the main straightaway. Here's Bob Jenkins. Rick Mears becomes the third four-time winner of the Indianapolis 500, winning the Diamond Jubilee Edition, the 75th running of this great speed classic. Welcome back to Beyond the Bricks. Real quick, by the way, in terms of the racing schedule for tomorrow, want to let everybody know the NTT IndyCar Series will be racing beginning at 1230 uh, tomorrow, then the Xfinity race immediately following, set around 330. Then on Sunday, of course, qualifying 9 o'clock in the morning for Cup with the race happening from noon until 5. My name is Jake Query. Donald Davidson's been talking to us about the Indianapolis 500 in the four-time winners. Mike Thompson here as well. Donald, one of the things I think was also really interesting about this year, you you we, you mentioned that all these guys know each other, but you know how much do you think it meant for Rick this year to see Elio get his fourth? Because you you know you know how close those two work together. Oh, yes. with, with, yes. with Rick I, as I a hadn't spotter. really thought about that now, but oh yes, um, and and uh, that they, um, golly, I mean they just bonded and and uh, Rick has always been so free with information and um, just, uh, you know, maybe off on a little bit of a tangent. I I remember how impressed I was um, when Rick was offered the pace car driving assignment one year and he turned it down. He said, oh, no, because I spot. And uh, they said, well, you know, couldn't you have somebody else start the thing? And then we'll, you know, you, when you come in after uh, the end of the pace lap and we'll get you over there. And he said, oh, no, no, because he said, I spend the morning with the driver. He said, I talk them through the morning. He said, we get up, we have breakfast. And he said, I just talk them through the morning before the race ever starts. And I remember being so impressed with that. 
and then, uh, as you know, and and uh, Jake well knows, um, th- this every year the, 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 when Rick would do his spotting from turn three. Um, to, to get to his post, there was not a back way up, and so he would have to come in at the bottom of the stands and then walk up. And uh, I guess people would get like a standing ovation. Somebody actually had it on their cell phone one time. I said, oh, I've heard so much about this. But, yeah, you're absolutely right that um, there's such a, a bond between the two of them. And I remember when... Uh, when Elio asked, uh, when he had the, the uh, he went to Rick and uh, got permission to use the, the, it, Rick's paint job for the helmet for for Elio's, and uh, so yes, uh, the, the, that victory would have uh, this year would have been very 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 special for Rick. There was one difference though between Rick's fourth win and and Al's fourth win and and some of these other fourth victories we're talking about and and it's something that I know you love the the numeric quirks of the race Donald. Yeah. Something that I didn't realize until I was looking over the box score I think it was yesterday that Will Power this year finished 30th in the Indianapolis 500 and he was only 3 laps down and he oh, finished 30th. Yes. And he finished thirtieth, <laughs> and he and he completed one hundred and ninety-seven laps. But he yeah, finished you know 30th. what I uh, what I thought about. I I never thought about it while the race was going on, or 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 even in the uh, the drive home show. But it occurred to me later that um, if you were to add up the total number of laps completed in the two thousand twenty-one five hundred, it would have to be the most. I know the fewest of a race that went the distance with the 33 cars is 1966. But whatever the record was, it had to have been broken. I mean, only three cars dropped out, and I think there was one in the first half, and then Will Power does 197 laps and finishes 30th. And in, you know, and and in I'm Rick's... thinking, golly, in... in um, in 1966, yeah, it, Jackie Stewart did 190 laps and finished sixth. <laughs> and in and in Rick's fourth so, win, John John Andretti finished fifth with 197 laps. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah, I I uh, we, oh, oh yes okay, but uh, so anyway, and I haven't done this yet, but I thought if if one were to add up all the laps completed. In this uh, this past race, it would have to be the all-time record. You know, it's interesting that Mike mentions John Andretti because, of course, he was part of that late restart, a fabulous restart with Rick Mears and Michael Andretti when they swapped the lead on back-to-back laps. Yes. John Andretti kind of wisely knew that even with it being his cousin, he just kind of got out of the way and let those two slug it out. You know, it seemingly, and you tell me if I'm wrong here, Donald, of the four in terms of win number four, even though I thought Castor Nevis was fabulous in the race and was running up front throughout, you could probably say that his the victory for him in the race was the furthest into the race before it was of certainty because he was still swapping the lead with Pelot there up until the last handful of laps, whereas the other three had at least like what a, a, an eight to ten lap. Am I correct in saying that? Yes, that would be correct um, with um – Yes, because uh, yes, Foyt and, and uh, Al both had, what, 20-something 20, 20 laps, I think, 
to uh, whereas whereas uh, you know Elio was back and forth. It was really kind of in doubt right up until the last moment. And then uh, another thing about Elio and the fact that you know I thought he would be a four or five time winner. Uh, somebody. Um, don't remember who this was. Maybe it was you or one of you two guys that said if you take Elio's three run-up positions, the elapsed time is less than half a second total. That he, I mean, he became, he was within a half a second of being a seven-time winner. <laughs> you know, and it's funny too. In the last two and a half minutes here, Donald, but I was thinking about this. Mike had mentioned, and it is very cool, they did the photo with Elio, you know, joining the other three. And so you have all four four-time winners and a picture on the bricks with the Borg Warner holding up their four fingers. And then it dawned on me, wait, if he wins next year, that picture only can be displayed for a year, right? Because then, then all of a sudden you got to go back to, wait a minute, I need a picture of just the four-time winners because now we have a five-time winner. But we'll uh, see whether yes. or not he can do it. Well, it's uh, – I never really thought about it from that point of view, but but really, I mean, I, I I'll go back to, to 2010, 2011, and and uh, you know I had the argument with uh, with people, and I was wrong. I said, Do you you mean to say that as long as he's driving for Penske, you mean and that you don't think that in the next five years he could win twice in five years, you know, or, or six years or whatever. I'll tell you, I mean, this year, I think, goes to show that you just never know. And that's kind of the magic, I think, of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway and the Indy 500. You just never flat know until the race comes to an end. We might see something like that this weekend. Again, just a reminder, the NTT IndyCar Series racing beginning tomorrow, 1230. The Xfinity race at 3.30 tomorrow. Of course, that time in flux based on what happens in the race before it, although it's scheduled for a 3.30 start. Sunday, 9 a.m. will be the qualifying for Cup, and then noon until 5, all on the road course of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. This is Beyond the Bricks. It has been fun doing it all week long. Thank you to Sam Rumsa. Uh, Mike, thanks so much. Enjoy the racing weekend. Donald, you as well. Thank you both. Yep, thank you. We'll see you guys uh, hopefully before May, but if not, we'll talk to you then for Beyond the Bricks.